Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, so, Bud, we have dabbled in video, and by no means is this a uh, you know final product, but we've hopefully continued to take some steps forward. Appreciate all the feedback that we've received on that. Uh, really, for us to not aggressively promote it, uh, had a fantastic response. And uh, for all of you that have gone and subscribed at our YouTube page, know that it is greatly appreciated. And uh, those of you that have it, if you could make your way over there, give us a, uh, a subscribe, click of the button. If you want to like the video, that's great. But the subscriptions are really our main focus right now. So uh, we'll, we'll jump into the podcast. As always, we'll thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce. Three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Tarpon Cellars, great wine company. Uh, just placed another order with them today. Uh, you can use the same coupon code that I use, NOLCAST, 20% off. And, uh, you know, they are great people of great product as well. And uh, we're fortunate to have two great sponsors to uh, lead us off in the podcast. No doubt, man. Really excited to do this one with you tonight. Uh, what do you want to do first? You want to go offensive line talk and then talk scrimmage? Or, or, or do you want to uh, you want to start out with scrimmage talk and then go offensive line? Yeah, let's do a little scrimmage talk. And then we can make our way over to the, uh, the planned position preview that we have for tonight. Yeah, so we got, you know, got to talk to some sources on the team uh, and also some folks who were in attendance for the scrimmage. And I, I got to tell you, man, I I think Jordan Travis is legitimately improving. Now, does that mean they're going to be a good passing team this year if he's the QB? And I, I don't, I'm not saying he's going to be the QB at this point. I, I still think it's probably Milton. But I, I do want to compliment him on... On actually having a, a, a nice spring so far, or excuse me, a, a nice fall camp so far. Solid scrimmage to the extent that anybody on offense was solid. We know the defense pretty much had its way, uh, at least when when the ones for the defense were in there. Uh, the the ones for the offense kind of took advantage of some of the twos and threes in the scrimmage later on. Uh, but I think he's throwing the football better, man, and that's that's important because last year, you know, they were they were not good especially when they had to throw the football, right? 101st in passing down success rate, 120th in third and long uh, success rate. And that's, that's just not really going to get it done there. Uh, they have to be able to throw the football when other teams know that they have to throw the football. Last year, all too often, like they would run in those situations. And they would get yards. And they would fill up the stat sheet, but they wouldn't actually have a high success rate in those situations because if you run for seven, on third and 13, it's not really a success. The defense is like, oh, cool, that's cute. Next. Uh, but it looks like he's throwing the football a lot better. That, that was kind of my first takeaway. I had somebody tell me that in their opinion, it was probably 55-45 that Travis was headed in the right direction of winning uh, the starting quarterback. Now, that's you know we're all victims of the moment, and everybody loves to make too many extrapolations based off either a small amount of practices or a scrimmage. They said if it was purely based off play that they thought Jordan Travis would be the quarterback. But the X factor here is Mike Norvell has played against uh, McKenzie Milton. And even post-injury and everything else, Mike Norvell has coached against McKenzie Milton, thrown everything in the world that they could at him. And McKenzie Milton had one of the more impressive performances in front of the head coach. Uh, and that's not lost on people. So, um, you know, we'll just have to see how much those memories of what he did against Memphis stay in Norvell's mind. Uh, but like you said, credit to Travis. He appears to have taken some real legitimate steps forward. And so far, 
has uh, been the better of the two. And and this is not you know the QB preview, uh, but it, I think it is worth noting, and we'll talk about it tonight. Given this offensive line, uh, mobility matters, right? How is Mackenzie Milton's foot? Is it good on a week to week basis? Is it something that that they can trust? And, and how much does it limit his mobility? Right? It, it's, he's certainly not going to be the guy that he was at UCF, uh, but just how mobile can he be? And how much does that really need to factor in and be a part of this offense? I Look, I think they brought McKenzie Milton in for a reason, but Jordan Travis has been the better player so far throughout, what, a week of fall camp? And nobody, uh, nobody I know will tell you different. Malik McClain continues to impress uh, as we just kind of make our way through the offense. So I continue to be very emboldened by what I think he's ultimately going to be. You can get yourself burned, uh, counting on a true freshman wide receiver, certainly, but it is a guy that at least had the chance to go through spring and continues to show very well. Some of the other offensive players, uh, Jordan Wilson is somebody that we heard a lot of positive remarks about uh, so far. Play has backed that up, had a solid scrimmage as well. That's kind of that of which immediately jumps out at me. Uh, Jay Sean Corbin continues to play solid, continues to kind of back up some of the the op- optimistic thoughts that uh, that has been associated with him for the most part of this fall camp. Um, and then the offensive line, the subject matter of the the evening, uh, you know, continues to be kind of hard to grade because they. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, I won't make any great extrapolations. Some guys aren't taking contact. Some guys are still kind of exactly. uh, working themselves back into shape. Some guys came back in great shape. Some guys did not. It's silly that we're here saying this again. I, I don't know that we can make a whole lot of extrapolations off the uh, the O-line or the D-line uh, simply because of kind of where they are right now. You're not going to fall for it for like a fourth year in a row. This defensive line is going to be awesome and, and it I do not think Jonathan Kando will be a first-round pick uh, if I were to go back 365 days, obviously. Kando is currently wearing a Kansas City Chiefs jersey, but uh, I won't make the same mistakes again. So, uh, you know, fool me once and then fool me again because I think I got fooled two years in a row. Not uh, not in year three here. I'll tell you another name. Travis Jay. No, oh, I mean, I am a, uh, I'm a big Travis Jay fan. Been very excited about Jay. Uh, you and I both internally have some concerns, had some concerns about Jay, Tate, some of the more talented kids that you've signed and just where they were in the developmental cycle because of injuries or, uh, you know, whatever the reason, haven't had a chance to really progress. Uh, Travis Jay appears to, you know, ha- have an accelerated <laughs> uh, learning curve on that cycle and appears to be a lot closer uh, to being the player that, you know, we think he can be. And uh, hopefully, you know, everything's in a place for him to uh, to really succeed. Because if he can put all, you know, all his focus and attention there, it's, you know, certainly all the talent in the world. Two more names for you. Uh, I, I was told that Parchment had a good catch. So that's encouraging after some you know, reports of maybe not a great, uh, not a great trip over to Jacksonville there for him. Uh, they really need him not to be a superstar. Uh, although if, if he wants to do that, that would be awesome. Uh, but they need him to be able to replace, as we spoke about in the receiver preview, which you guys should go back and listen uh, to if you want. But they they really need him uh, to be at least somebody you can replace Tamari and Terry as far as have the deep speed, be somebody the defense has to respect a little bit, you know, not not be a zero out there. And I he, he may be able to do that. We'll we'll see. Other name I want to throw out here, Kier Thomas is a guy that just to be frank, if I had to record the defensive line 
preview two weeks ago, I would have been more concerned because you know he was injured a, a, a lot of the offseason. We really didn't know what they were going to get in him. And if he's healthy, I've watched him play a lot. I mean, ever since he was in high school, we'll save it for the defensive line preview, but He's there. He played in the scrimmage. He had some impact plays in the scrimmage. Like that's that's a good sign. If he's healthy, I think he is probably a starter for you. So that's encouraging. Definitely, definitely. I think he is uh, most likely a starter, and by all accounts, has had a you know had a strong showing. So hopefully, the health stays there. But a guy that uh, you know, I, I think the average fan will. Notice who that guy is pretty quickly. Andy wears a cool number, so you know that helps. Uh, and he number four. It's great. It's yes. a great number for defense lineman, definitely. So it, it really I mean, is. Flashes of Timmy Jernigan. I know Jernigan was eight, but you give me a single digit defense alignment, I'm a, I'm a fan. So we got zero and four on the defense line, and expect big things from them. No doubt about it. Um, so you mentioned Timmy Jernigan. That's kind of a legend in the FSU program, and something else which is pretty legendary is legendary home loans. 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. Figure we get this ad read out of the way before we jump into the offensive line season preview. I did my mortgage and my refi through these guys. Shannon and Chad are awesome. It's interest rates, knowledge of the market, great customer service, attention to detail. 844-FSU-LOAN. Tell them we sent you. And let's, let's, let's get 200, man. We're, we're getting close. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, any other thoughts from the scrimmage before we go full offensive line, bud? Not really, man. I just, from what I was told, like pretty encouraging overall about the defense. I mean, you got to remember the defense was was pretty pretty poor last year, right? Jordan Travis. I think the biggest thing here is that the people I'm talking to are not the folks who I think who would just totally BS me and be like, oh, look, Jordan Travis is playing well. It's just because Mackenzie Milton is not lighting the world on fire, right? Like they're not just sunshine pumpers who are looking for any kind of positive narrative. They do think that he is throwing the ball better. Now, look, they were 121st in passing efficiency last year, adjusted for opponent. I think there was, what, 127 teams because UMass or uh, UConn, New Mexico State, and who's the third team that set out? Um, Old Dominion? Yeah, it was, it was Old Dominion, I'm, I'm pretty sure now. So, all right, if you're 121st, that means there were only six teams worse than you at passing efficiency adjusted for opponent last year. So there's a lot of room to improve of throwing the football around quite obviously. But I, I think the main thing is, is look, do I think you're going to beat some of these better teams if Jordan Travis is your QB? I have my doubts, right? Although you did do so to North Carolina last year. But if Jordan Travis is a better passer and this defense takes some sort of step forward, you, you shouldn't be getting blown out by Louisville and teams like that, right? You should be more in those games. Those games become the coin flips that we want them to be. Hopefully. I mean, I, I think uh, I love some of the optimism that I see from people, and, and that just comes at this time of year. But I, I almost think that people, you know, and last year was such a bizarre year in general that people have kind of pasted over some of the cracks in their mind as to what some of the results from those games are. And I love it when I see people just list Six teams ago, oh, those should be those should be automatic victories, including two teams who beat you by like seven touchdowns or like five touchdowns. Yeah, yeah, who embarrassed you last year? They didn't beat you; they embarrassed you. So, uh, yeah, that no, that's just uh, just a comment out there. So, um, should we start at tackles and kind of work our way in? Yeah. Well, first, I want to just review what we did last year real fast. Um, 
we starting in that 2018, we said, hey, this is going to be like, let's go from terrible to bad to below average. Did FSU get to below average last year? I don't know. I think you can argue that in some ways they did. Uh, the offensive line run blocking certainly improved. And yet, I, I'm just going to be honest, guys. Like, I don't have all the answers here. I have a difficult time figuring out like just how much better this team was at run blocking than it was compared to the prior year for two reasons. Number one, Jordan Travis. Before Jordan Travis came in there, FSU really could not run the football at all. So I don't want to give all of the credit here to the offensive line when I really think a lot of this was JTrav doing stuff for them. The second thing I want to point out is that they had a lot of rushing yards in situations when they were, like, it's not technically to the garbage time definition yet, but like they're down 24 points in the third quarter. You know, and if you get down 25, then you kind of enter garbage time. But I think a lot of teams, even though that's not the statistical definition of garbage time, if you use you know, Bill Connolly's new one, if you're an opposing defensive coordinator, you're probably like, all right, yeah, we'll, we'll let you run the ball some. You know, so I do wonder like, how well can they throw it when they have to throw it and how well can they run it when they have to run it in those, those situations where the game is late and close. How how good can they be there? Um, you know, they were 93rd in pressure rate allowed. And that's despite the fact that you have Travis. Now, granted, part of that's on him too. I mean, he's not the most, uh, what would you say? Maybe not the most rhythmic passer, perhaps, is, is fair. Certainly wasn't last year. Yeah. I have a hard time thinking this offensive line is going to be worse unless it just gets absolutely wrecked by injury because the only guy who you don't bring back portaled himself, right? <laughs> or, 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 or tampered himself, you know? So it's like, right. Yeah. I think this line should be better. Um, you know, there are, there are spots in this team that don't bring back a ton of experience, but you get Robert Scott. Now let's just, I guess we'll get into the players, but first we should probably talk like we do in all these season preview spots, uh, where David Hale has them just to set the tone of kind of our thing. And then we'll talk about the guys who need to step up. They're going to hit this projection or, hopefully exceed the projection. And Hale has them uh, 11th in the ACC, ahead of Syracuse, Pitt, and Georgia Tech. So a team is probably going to fire its coach. I don't know what the hell Pitt is doing. And a team that's transitioning off the triple option. Year three. But still, 11th didn't last. And Hale had the receivers last. Yeah, I was to say so. We've uh, we've previewed units that were fourteen to fourteen uh, already, and uh, good to see you at eleven. Obviously, we you know we'll talk a little bit about beyond twenty one at the end of the year, but the steps are being taken to not have you ranked eleventh in the ACC anymore, and that is very exciting. Uh, I think that's you know again we'll let this breathe throughout the course of the show. I feel like that's probably a pretty accurate. I feel like that's probably a pretty accurate rating. And if there has been one disappointing uh, feature of Florida State in the transfer portal, it's that for as excited as all the fan base got, every time you saw a tweet about a kid answering the portal at OT next to his name, um, you know, for one reason or another, you've, you've failed to bring in a real tackle. And that is, you know, still left you kind of living in this precarious situation where if you suffer an injury, yeah, maybe you can suffer one injury. Certainly, if you have two, 
you're in a real bad place. And you know, that could be said for a lot of position groups, but for a fan base that's lived with horrible defensive lines for, you know, excuse me, horrible offensive lines uh, for three years now, four years now, you're, you're getting it done the high school level. Like we said, it's not going to be the case for much longer, uh, but you still left yourself in a situation where things could go pretty, pretty astray here pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, look, it, I think Alex Atkins is doing an absolutely phenomenal job with this group overall. FSU, as we, I think we were first to report, uh, they, they just released this contract. Uh, they locked him up, you know, for, for multiple years. And I don't think he's going to go be an offensive line coach anywhere else, right? I, I think he's going to be a coordinator at some point. And if, if Kenny Gillingham were to leave, uh, offensive line coach, you know, Alex Atkins could probably, probably take over that offensive, that offensive coordinator job. And in fact, I would think it's probably odds on that he would. Uh, but they did gamble and lose. Right, I think they passed on some kids early on, who at the very worst would probably have depth. Uh, most notably, the the offensive tackle from Memphis. Right now, look, I think anybody with common sense has to say, but Mike Norvell literally coached this kid. They have a huge needed offensive tackle, and they didn't go after. He's he went to TCU, where I think he's going to start for TCU. Now, I, I'm going to assume the staff knows something. And I, I mean, don't you think that's fair to kind of give them the benefit of the doubt on a player they coached? Certainly, yeah. But there were other guys, you know, who they decided not to go after. They didn't want to take somebody just for depth purposes. They wanted to take somebody who they thought could come in and potentially start for them. And ultimately, they, they didn't get one at the offensive tackle spot. So that's really disappointing. The depth here is still uh, is still pretty sketchy. I think their best offensive tackle right now and depending on some injury recovery situations, as we record this you know, late night on 8-15, their best offensive lineman could be Robert Scott? If uh, I would start with Love Taylor, but yeah, I mean, Scott, Scott is in the conversation, certainly, or looks to have put himself in the conversation. One of the few guys that came back in excellent shape and has been a full buy-in in the strength uh, program, but yeah. So you know, last year, he had some weird numbers, right? If you look at like ESPN's uh, basically blown block percentage, he was he was pretty bad in that. But he was also a true freshman playing offensive tackle. Uh, when according to my sources, the program sees him long term. Like, what's his NFL projection? You know, maybe what's his high level college football projection? Probably more as, as as a guard. He's playing offensive tackle for them, getting thrown out there to the wolves, and no surprise he struggled some. But if you look at Pro Football Focus's numbers, they were extremely high on him. So. I do think there's there's some real flashes here. He's been playing left tackle as well in camp, which we should probably take a moment to discuss this. On the one hand, that's a hell of a compliment to him. Both your quarterbacks are, are, are righties, right? And you're protecting the blind side. Guy's in good shape. He looks like he could take a big-time leap this year. But it also has me uh, with some questions about the guy who was unquestionably the best offensive lineman on your team last year when healthy. Devontae Love-Taylor, who is back at practice but not really taking contact yet. You know what I mean? Like He, he, had, he had the, the rehab all, all summer with, with the leg injury. I don't know, man. That makes me a little bit questionable as to where Love-Taylor is in the recovery, how much he was able to do this summer because for the most part, you know, he's been doing a, lot, a little more guard stuff than, than I anticipated him doing. Is that because they feel great about Robert Scott and Darius Washington or is that more of a 
ooh, he may not be the same player athletically that he was last year. What do you think about that? Oh, I, I think it's a great question. I think that um, I think your concerns are warranted. I'll put it that way, uh, and that maybe you're trying to protect him a little bit at guard, and also, mm, I mean, there's multiple reasons for that, in my opinion. Some of it, I think, is to try to figure out what your best five are, try to motivate people, um, let one kid know that he's really got to work to start, let a transfer know that it's not guaranteed that he's going to start. Um, I think you're, you know, you're not playing mind games, but you're trying to figure out where, where it can hit and what you've got to do to get the best five on the field and get the most out of your best five. But, you know, Scott is a really solid piece that they think is a, uh, a great locker room guy and has worked his tail off when it comes to working with storms. So uh, on the long haul, I think they're pretty happy with what they got out of the kid out of Arkansas so far. Uh, Darius Washington's the next one that we need to look at. Uh, Washington had some nice moments last year. You could certainly tell that he was, you know, a work in progress and that he was battling an injury at times as well. Talking about two redshirt freshmen to lead off the conversation here. Uh, Washington will be a really good player. I think Washington will be, you know, one of the main pieces that continues to let you tick from below average average to decent uh, hopefully here rather quickly. Uh, but it's, you know, it's going to be a story as to how healthy this kid can be and if he can get through a full season or uh, what it looks like with him because there's some nice moments. Um, he's got a decent amount of, uh, let's see, he's, he's got a decent amount of length despite not being super yeah. tall, I, I guess, if that's a, a good way of trying to describe him. Better better run blocker right now than, than pass blocker, but got to get a little bit better working with his feet and maybe not lunging and, you know, there's a kind of center of gravity thing there that uh, comes into play that uh, hopefully you continue to see some improvement. No doubt, dude. I Look, if he stays healthy, I think he can be arguably their best tackle, right? He do, he is a longer guy. He's not real tall. Uh, but the Jimbo, I'm trying to think who told me. We, I remember it was one of the coaches on, on that. I think it was on the 09 staff. We were talking about LaMarcus Joyner, and he basically said, like, you don't catch interceptions with your head, right? You, you catch with your hands. Kind of the same thing. You, you, you block people with, with your length. And Darius Washington, wingspan-wise, is much much longer than his height would suggest. I mean, he, he's not one of these 6'5 dudes. He's probably... What, what do they even list him at? I think they have him at 6'4". Six, 6'4". Four. Six, four, so, I mean, that's maybe... Let's just say that's, that's generous by a half inch or something, right? He doesn't have a 6'3 and a half inch wingspan. He's he's got something that that's I think it's like a plus five. So uh, you know that that's encouraging. He he's got some length to him. Last year, I, I just think he was battling injury, and it's just tough to throw a guy in the fire, ask him to play tackle like that. That's kind of one of the reasons why I have some hope for this, right? These dudes, it would be hard unless they get hurt or something. It would be hard for them to play worse than they did last year because they were at new positions that they hadn't done yet, really at the college level all that much. And at times, they were okay. Most of the times when they played a good team, they got smoked. So it is what it is. FSU does a pretty good job protecting them with play action, with the RPO game, with a super mobile quarterback. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. Probably more RPO stuff when, uh, when, when Milton's in there as opposed to the mobile quarterback stuff. But I just think long-term, I mean, Robert Scott, Darius Washington... They're probably going to be starters for you for what? At least two more years after this? Unless one of them just absolutely catches fire and goes pro early. Like that, 
you're going to have some very experienced dudes who have a t- ton of snaps under their belt being pushed by some really talented y- younger kids who are coming in. COVID is not a good thing, but if you don't if you don't hit a home run in the portal, these guys are starters for probably two to three years. Um, and then, like we will probably reiterate with almost every position preview this, this summer, this COVID stuff is going to make all these guys feel like they've been on campus for seven years. I mean, the, the, the fact that we're talking about two redshirt freshmen is, uh, you know, it's just it's going to be interesting to see how the roster plays out and how long guys are here. Um, before we move to Devonta Love Taylor, did did Chaz Neal ever land anywhere? And I'm not trying to laugh at a kid or anything, but uh, we talked about when he left that we weren't sure, like, we were thinking, like, D2, D3. Well, he, he's listed at FAU. Uh, FAU? Really? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. But look, I don't know if that's scholarship or not, as I've covered quite a bit, uh, a lot of these guys who jumped in the portal, maybe without a parachute, um, they are... I know of other instances across the board. I'm not saying Chaz Neal did this. Just to be clear, I don't know if he's on scholarship or not there. Maybe he is. If he is, that's great for him. Like I, I don't have any ill will against him. Uh, but some of these dudes are taking walk-on spots at FBS schools to avoid the embarrassment of going down, in their mind, embarrassment. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily all that embarrassing if you're getting playing time. Uh, the quote-unquote embarrassment of, you know, um, of going down an FCS or D2. So you, you mentioned something. I want to ask you about this. If Love Taylor is is healthy and he and if he got a full normal offseason, do you think he's still taking snaps at guard? Um, it's possible, bud, because I do think that that's where they wanted him to land eventually. I mean, I think that was the desire. Really, I thought the desire was to get a plug in, you know, obviously. Uh, everybody would love to get a plug and play tackle and slide Love Taylor down. That didn't happen as we already discussed. Um, so I do, you know, it's possible that they really love what they have with Scott and Washington and, and they want to go ahead and invest the snaps in those guys uh, with the idea of their, you know, trajectory and, and there being long-term options at tackle. So I don't want to completely, you know, rule it out, but I'll, I'll say the same thing I said earlier. I, I think the concern is warranted as to, uh, if you're you're trying to, eh, I don't know, protect a kid is the right word, but not, you know, put him in a place where he can succeed as much as possible as to where he is right now. And, uh, you know, we'll just have to kind of keep our ear to the train tracks and see what we hear. And and then most importantly, what he looks like once, you know, you start taking real snaps and uh, we'll have to see where, you know, where he really is coming off the injury and, and what he looks like compared with last year. So. You know, whatever you do, you try to get, like I said, you try to maximize what you can put out there and you try to put your best face forward. And whether that's trying to find five guys on an offensive line or working with people that can optimize your business in the best manner possible, that's uh, what we are so fortunate to do. And we've been able to pair with congruity for a year now. Like we uh, are so fond of bragging on them. If you're looking for a PEO, uh, certainly they are the first people to call. Uh, you can reach Matt Lewis at uh, Knowles, N-O-L-E-S, at congruityhr.com. And I know this is not the ad read, but we got to give a quick pause here and congratulate Matt Lewis and his son, McLean. They are on their way to Williamsport. They are going to the Little League World Series. Uh, they are representing uh, 
you know, the Southeastern United States. Uh, there's a little bit of a different format this year because there's no international teams. So it's all U.S. teams. And uh, they played really great, played in the final uh, game, which ultimately this year gets you entry into Williamsport, as I said, because there are no international showings. Uh, but just a fantastic, I can't even imagine what the experience has been like for the Lewis family. And we want to give them a, a big shout out and congratulations and wish them the best as they continue on in their uh, Little League World Series pursuit and travel up to Williamsport for a time that certainly all of them will remember uh, for the rest of their lives. No doubt, man. That, that is that is just absolutely incredible. I, I was watching a little bit of that on TV over the weekend and, and um, what, I don't know, we should do something for them. That's, that's pretty cool. I, I guess giving a shout out on, on an extremely popular Florida State podcast is, uh, is maybe good enough, but that, that's, that's awesome. That is. And it is fantastic. I'll use our ticker feature on YouTube. <laughs> you, Matt <laughs> and son. I'm sure that'll mean the world to McLean. Yeah. Some old guys put my name on their podcast. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Um, but yeah. All right. So we'll move to the inside uh, guard. We just talked a lot about uh, Love Taylor and how he projects here, if it is ultimately where he lands. Um, you know, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Gibbons and and our old friend Dante Lucas. So Lucas is, uh, you know, still still on the team at this moment. Uh, I'm not trying to suggest any, you know, I'm not hinting at anything. Although I would kind of put Lucas in the camp where if I woke up tomorrow and realized he wasn't on the team, or if I woke up in three weeks, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me at this point. Uh, when Dante Lucas is good, he's real damn good. And when he's not, um, he can be a concern and is. Uh, you know, he, he's, uh, he's one of those kids, the EKGs a lot. It's when it's high, it's real high. And when it's low, uh, you're worried is if he's going to bounce back from it. I really want Dante Lucas to do well, man. I, I really do. Like I always inter- enjoyed interviewing him. I like to watch him at camps. I, I definitely got hooked on, on like, his good blocks were, were really, really good ones. And we, we still see that, right? Like he, he has the ability to finish people in a way that other folks on this team just do not. There's a reason he's still around. Physically, I think his potential is tantalizing. It's all the other stuff, right? It's the, you know, having a, a like missed assignment percentage double everybody else in the run game that is concerning. Um, you know, it's trying to fight opponents before the game, you know, and just like a game that you go to lose by 40, like just, uh, you know, some of the nonsense uh, and just keeping him sort of neutral thinking, right? Not getting too high, like you said, not getting too low. I think to his credit, uh, he showed up in better shape for fall camp than he was in summer. I'm not going to tell you he's in great shape, but I do think he slimmed down, you know, some, which is encouraging. And if Washington and Scott are your starting tackles, and you get Devontae Love Taylor, who we think at at the very least is going to be pretty steady as a guard. If Dante Lucas is your other guard, and he beats out a guy like Dylan Gibbons, and then another backup like like Bavion Johnson, who's playing some guard, like that's maybe it's a good sign. Maybe that means he kept it together. You know, like that that's possible. I'm, I don't know, dude. He ability wise, he certainly has it. What technically is he a redshirt sophomore now? I guess I'm trying to think now. He would be 
Uh, yeah, so he's a redshirt sophomore. So technically, if Dante Lucas really got it together, he could be starting for this team for three more years, which is kind of crazy to think about. But it's possible. It, it's possible. I just you, you can't you can't get caught up in talking about all the good and ignore you know some of the some of the really bad. I mean, PFF grade last year under fifty. That's by far the worst of any starter on offense. Baffling missed assignments, penalties, uh, just stuff that, that you can't have. It's not a physical strength deal for the most part. It's just, it's all the head stuff. Yeah, it is. And you can see it, you can you can almost see it unraveling when it, when it happens uh, in a game. And you realize, you know, like we said, when... When he's on, it's probably the best offensive lineman when you have. And when he's not on, you can almost predict a blown assignment or a personal foul will be coming in the next four or five plays. You can just kind of see a kid almost uh, boil over in front of you. So hopefully, uh, you know, you continue to continue to work with him and uh, continue to, you know, put him in a place to succeed as much as possible. And I do think Gibbons is a – I think it's a good thing for Lucas to have a kid, uh, to have a, a guy like Gibbons on the roster that uh, you know, you know, came in with the intention of playing. And Lord knows if he's the only offensive line the staff brought in, I hope they brought him in with the intention of playing him, or at least you know, with him having the ability to play. So um, Gibbons is experienced as much as a backup can be. A career backup can be experienced. Uh, not super athletic, maybe you know didn't didn't show up in in quite the shape that you would want him to. Um, yeah, he looks he looks heavy. Florida Heat's a good good good. Uh, it's a good opportunity to drop some pounds. Florida Heat will help. That will help certainly. But uh, you know, work to be done there. Not uh, a guy that you automatically pencil in. And I think we said this in the intro to the position preview. Uh, and I've I've heard some similar feedback. Some guys that aren't sure he's going to play and some guys who think ultimately he'll probably win the, the other guard position uh, if love Taylor's your, your other guard. So, uh, you know, some work to be done here. We'll just have to see. I mean, he, he's probably, you know, he's, he's decent in the past game, not necessarily at this point in time, uh, you know, great at going out and aggressively pursuing backers or, or being a strength in the run game. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he can anchor, you know, um, one-on-one blocks against some of the lesser offensive linemen in the conference, you know, maybe so. I, I, I think the questions here are most likely the foot quickness, right? I just don't think he's very athletic, personally. Um, you know, I, I'm going over some of his advanced numbers here. Last year, 105 snaps, uh, 4.8% uh, pass rush rate allowed was the highest on Notre Dame's team. So, kind of concerning there. Just for we're not sugarcoating this thing. It's not what we do here. Uh, interceptions plus incompletes attributed to uh, two, which tied for the lead for for the most. Uh, blown block percentage one point nine percent, which was looks like second worst. Uh, some guy named Josh Lug who had two hundred thirty eight snaps for them. Uh, blown block percentage of two point five. So anyway, uh, Notre Dame is a really really good offensive line. I do think that Dylan Gibbons probably is a starter caliber player for you know, a, a number of power five teams. 
to compare some of those, like I was just talking about, two and a half was the highest blown block percentage on Notre Dame's team last year. All right. Robert Scott, 3.8. Darius Washington, 5.1. Um, who else do we have here? Chaz Neal, 6.3. This is like the darkest red cell I've ever seen on a spreadsheet. So that's concerning. Uh, Dante Lucas, 1.9% in the run game. <laughs> Not even counting the pass, which is, you just don't really see that. Dylan Gibbons is experienced. I think that at the very least, he will most likely not blow a bunch of assignments. That sort of sets a floor for that position. If Dante Lucas is going to start over him, he has to be better mentally. He cannot be just totally whiffing on who to block anywhere near as often as he was. And I don't think this is an Alex Atkins issue, right? Because other guys on the team were not really doing that. When Washington and Robert Scott were blowing blocks, for the most part, they just got beat. They weren't really just didn't know who to block. Um, so I think Gibbons will give you a decent, like, hey, I'm an experienced guy. I know how to run these concepts. I may not run them all that well, but the baseline should be higher than it was for the spot last year. Let me throw this at you. What if Love Taylor really steps up here in the final two weeks of fall camp and makes big-time strides? Maybe how they're holding them out more is precautionary. Do they move Washington or do they move Scott back to guard? Because all three of those guys need to be starters, in my opinion. Like I don't, I don't care where they start, but like, who do you think they would move? If you, I mean, if you think Scott ultimately is a guard, then that would make more sense. I personally like Scott, uh, but he might be your best tackle than, now. Yeah, I mean, I liked him a little bit more than Washington. Uh, I think Washington. I mean, the problem is you got three kids who may who may project better at guard than they do tackle. Uh, you just got to try to figure out which one it is. Uh, Look, these, these coaches know infinitely more about football than I do. When I saw Robert Scott a week ago, that looked more like a tackle than Darius Washington to me. Uh, so I would probably move Washington down and uh, and have Scott and Love Taylor be your two tackles. That's that's fair. Uh, on Johnson is the other name here, probably to mention at guard. Old on Baked Chicken Johnson. I got to get that? that reference in one final time. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Old... Uh, I believe that was Trickett Whisper in his ear way back when to give you an idea as to how long he's been on the roster. So for the listeners who don't know, the baked chicken reference, was it, were we doing the interview with him back back when I was still with, with TN? Uh, I remember him describing that what his mom made for the official visit dinner. And because Trickett had been, had been really riding baby on to get the weight down, uh, they had they served baked chicken. And he, he made sure, to, isn't this how this went? Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is exactly what I remember. Uh, so they, they pointed out that that they uh, that, that he was serving big chicken. Trickett, dude, Trickett. I mean, Trickett cracks me up. And, but Trickett would call these kids literally the second after their facts came in and be like, "Hey, fatty, you're going, you're going, <laughs> you're going to hate me, and you're going to lose some weight." And uh, guess what? The tables just turned. Uh, and Trickett, what a legend! What a legend. Can you imagine if Trickett was the offensive line coach in like the wide open portal era? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you'd be, you'd be losing a kid be... every six days. Uh, and, but Trickett, man, good for him. What a, what a guy. What a guy. So we got to talk about center probably. Maurice Smith, best I know, is going to be your center. Yeah. I mean, I, I really liked what I saw out of Maurice at times last year. Looked like a guy that was a little undersized and pushed into action too early, which probably accurate. Uh, but a, a kid who looked like he had a lot of fight in him. Um, I 
again, I, I think in a couple of years, this could be a really decent player for you, but uh, he's going to have to see how you continue to develop him. But uh, I, there were some, there were some moments with Smith where I saw like an engine there that I, I haven't seen under too many of the offensive linemen. I, I really think that that kid uh, fights like hell and, you know, wants to be as good as he can be. And, It'll be interesting to see what his development looks like. I like I like Murray Smith coming out of high school. I thought he was a pretty athletic kid, bends well. You know, he, he not like a freaky athletic player, but a little bit undersized. Just somebody who knows how to play the position and, and knows how to win, which is a bit of a cop out to say like oh he's a winner. But ultimately, I, I do think that's that's kind of what he is, right? He's somebody who does a lot of the little things right as, as he continues to gain size. Being a winner will get you a camp invite to the Jags. So you know, yeah, uh, just. Don't shy away from using the term too much. That was uh, that was embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but you know, I I I, I can't hate on Tinti that much. I, like he's, I think that guy's just like authentically him. You know, it's just like that's who the dude is. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I do want to kind of give a little credit, by the way, to Bavion Johnson, who graded out fairly well last year compared to some other people on the team, and. He looks like he's in better shape than he's ever been in. I know everybody's always in the best shape of their life entering camp, of course, which if you're not, unless you were hurt or something wrong, because you're still developing as an athlete, and at 22, you better be in better shape and looking better than you did at 21 or 20 than than 19. I mean, of course, but he graded out fairly well last year. I I think Babyon is not quite as bad as some people want to give him credit for. Now, the snapping for him has always been an issue. They also have Bryson Estes there. I know what Georgia kid up your way who pretty good weightlifting numbers did not play good competition at all in high school, but we'll see. I mean, has some potential there, I think. But ultimately here, your, your starter is Maurice Smith. My number one worry with Maurice Smith is when you have a zero or a one tech lined up over him, does he have enough ass to anchor, right? Can he... Can he hold up at the point of attack and not just get pushed back into the quarterback? For a center, he had a relatively high number of interceptions and incompletions attributed to him, which is not great. And interestingly here, if you compare his like run blocking grade to his pass blocking grade, there's a little bit of Ryan McMahon going on here. Remember McMahon, uh, like back in the day, fairly athletic, came in as a defensive tackle, was not a good player, but was not terrible. Trickett definitely liked him. And ultimately, he could get the cutoffs. He was pretty good in the open field. He was not a bad double-team player. But in the pass game, if you had somebody who could bull rush him, he was in real trouble. And that, I think, is where some of the some of this real, real bad grade for Smith comes from. I know he's put on some weight. What are they, I mean, I saw him in person. But like, what, what do they list him at now? 280. You know, it's just not big enough yet. That'll probably continue to be a trouble spot if they like to, to, to the extent they play some teams who have some really good nose guards who, who can who can walk you back. That's problematic. All right, we'll move our thoughts, uh, you know, beyond 2021. Talk about some of these kids that we didn't otherwise mention. Uh, you know, Lloyd Willis is the first one that uh, will tip on uh, redshirt freshman. I mean, a guy that you always knew was going to need some time in the program before he was really ready to develop, a guy that I think internally they're fairly optimistic about what he can be in time, uh, but a, 
a guy that you're still probably a year away from really seeing play a decent amount of snaps. What what a difference framing matters, right? Like how do we frame you as a player? If Lloyd Willis is somebody who they had thrown in as a freshman, as you've had to do in this program so many times over like the last six or seven years, throwing in guys before they're ready, he would look terrible. Almost certainly. And that would be bad. But yet now, they're actually optimistic about Lloyd Willis developing into something here. I think if you go back to the original Nolcast, like the after National Signing Day, when we talked about him, when they signed him in the class of, of 2020, we said, basically, talk to us in 2022. This kid needs a redshirt year to get bigger, get stronger, and probably two years to learn how to play the game before he's seriously competing for playing time. But do you know what would really help? Man, if he could arrive a year early, just to give you some confidence that he could be a, like a, a a backup at offensive tackle this year, and like may, maybe he's your fourth or fifth tackle, and you feel not horrendous about putting him in the game. Like if I can refresh your memory here, Ingram, Casneal, ooh, the the pass block grade of uh, forty four on on PFF, not not the best pass rush percentage allowed there by Neil. The only guy who has a higher pass rush percentage allowed than Chaz Neal last year is uh, Ja'Kai Douglas, right? Who, that's just like a, a receiver playing running back, blowing blocks in the backfield. Uh, Chaz Neal, 20% pass rush rate allowed, which is, I mean, next closest offensive lineman, 7.3, Darius, who's playing hurt. Neal is like tripled that. If Lloyd Willis can give FSU not Chaz Neal level offensive tackle play as a backup in year two, I think they will take that all day, man. That's that would be great. Super raw prospect out of Miami, like you said. We all, always knew he was going to, you know, need two years. Probably needs to slide over to Matso and eat as many fat fingers and, and you know pancakes as he can. Still kind of a long, lengthy looking prospect, uh, but a guy that I think you know they, you know, there's there is still some optimism, uh, and I, I say still like he's been around the program for three years or something. No, there's still. Uh, a good idea as to what ultimately that kid can become. Uh, before we go to Thomas Schrader, we will talk real quickly about Madso. Uh, we've mentioned this a couple times over the past episodes. Uh, we will be doing a listener appreciation for the Louisville game. So uh, you can go ahead and put that on your uh, calendar. We'll be doing some kind of event uh, with Madso. Probably, you know, I don't want to say Bobby Bowden themed, as that sounds kind of silly, but we will. Uh, a themed anything sounds kind of silly. Let me clarify my comments. I'm, I'm certainly not uh, suggesting anything tied to Bowden. But, uh, you know, we'll try to do something in tribute to Bowden. Have a great time with you guys. Uh, we're, we're working on a, a T-shirt with Matt and his team right now. We'll continue to provide you details as they become available. But, uh, you know, whether it be that morning or uh, any other time, certainly would love for you to go visit our friends over at Matso Township, uh, Soto, all the other Fantastic places of the For the Table restaurant group. Been with us since day one, and uh, the catering business is something to keep in mind. Uh, that is a, a fantastic option if you're in the uh, Tallahassee metro area and you have an event coming up. All right, so let's go ahead and finish out. Let's, let's finish strong. Here are some dudes who I wouldn't necessarily define them as, as roulette chips, but maybe for this year, uh, Thomas Schrader is a guy, if he had not busted his leg up, It'd be one of the first five names we mentioned. Yes, I think he would legitimately be in the conversation for a starting job. If Thomas Rader did not get hurt, do you take Dylan Gibbons in the portal? 
I don't think you do. I, 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 I think you probably take one of the, I think you probably have a little more leeway for a tackle. Actually. I think you maybe, you know, maybe feel a little bit more comfortable doing that, but Schrader is a, you know, that, that one, that one hurts because it absent injury. I think this guy's a starter for you. And that's not to say he's going to miss the entire year, uh, but certainly he's missed a whole lot of you know, weightlifting, developmental time, practice time. I mean, he's not going to be a plug-and-play good player the second he gets back. I think long-term, they're still very high on him, and I know that they like him a whole lot and were, you know, were bummed when, when, when they found out what that was. If he can come back, could he be a, a, an average ACC player by the end of the year? They would take that. Like you, you need to find some spots. I don't hate the starters on this team. I don't think. I do kind of hate the backups, and part of that is because of injury. It's, I don't hate them as people, but I just hate their their ability level uh, and and the you know indigestion it gives me thinking about certain guys having to go into the game for long stretches. But if Thomas Schrader can come back mid year and be just a below average ACC player, that would be great, right? That'd be helpful. I think long-term, he's still very much in the plans. Zane Herring, I think, has to uh, continue to reshape his body. And you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Brady Scott, is Brady Scott really a redshirt junior? There's no way. Brady Scott feels like he's been here for nine years. Get used to it. Get used to that failing. Uh-huh. So, well, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, he had the red shirt and he, uh, and he had the COVID shirt. So he could still technically come back next year. My guess here is that Brady Scott will not do so and will probably go get a job after this year because he's not going to be an NFL guy. Uh, but you know, somebody you could throw in there probably doesn't kill you as a reserve. Anyway, maybe I shouldn't have had him in the future section because I don't think he's really going to be here beyond next year. And then Rod Orr, I also had in the you know, future section with contributor potential. This year, I feel like it's unlikely because he's kind of got that basketball build. He's very raw as a prospect. But, I mean, he was the gem of their offensive line class last year, and they're still very high on him. So, I mean, obviously, he's been on campus for like three weeks. So, <laughs> yeah, just, just a reminder of what they have. Two guys I want to put in the prove-me-wrong category, Ingram. Jalen Goss and Ira Henry. Yeah, Henry's uh, one of the, just from a physical perspective, one of the kids that I've been the most excited that you've signed uh, over the past three years or so. Hasn't translated yet. Haven't heard a whole lot of uh, ideas that that is a guy that's uh, on the verge of contributing. Just at this point in time, I think a category called proving wrong is appropriate. And I think him landing in it is uh, is fitting for now. And hopefully that changes a, a guy out of, what, East St. Louis with, a, with certainly some physical ability that others on this roster don't have. But at this time, uh, not somebody that I would anticipate seeing on the field a whole lot this year. I would agree about that. And yet he's, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Jalen Goss, redshirt sophomore, still has three years left, allegedly up to 290 pounds or 295 pounds. He's definitely put on some weight. He was always kind of a, a dude who they projected to be a long-term project, but just the, the inability to put on any weight in the first couple of years kind of doomed that. And I, I still don't think he's going to gonna play here. Uh, but who knows? I mean, he, crazier things, if Love Taylor has to play guard and you don't want to move him off, it's not insane to think he could be your your first tackle off the bench this year. Like there, There's that kind of variance behind the scenes that, that, that could produce those kind of results. This is kind of crazy. Yeah, it is. Uh, so, 
why don't we uh, take a couple minutes to uh, celebrate slash discuss the recruiting efforts that are uh, have taken place at this position. You know, you finally wanted to uh, to try to not just diagnose the problem. Lord knows that's a, a clear diagnosis, but uh, cure it with numbers. And certainly Florida State is in the process of doing that in a manner that uh, they haven't in a long time. I, now, all the respect, personally, I think I, my co-host is uh, is the best guy in the world when it comes to recruiting, but certainly still Steve Wilfong's name carries a ton of weight. And when Wilfong drops a crystal ball, I mean, it's it's significant enough that we should mention it on a podcast. I don't know that I do that with a, a ton of people in the industry, but for those that aren't immediately aware, Wilfong crystal balled one Elijah Pritchett to Florida State. I believe this was Friday morning, um, so still relatively recently a new occurrence, and that would be a hell of a get. Uh, for Florida State, a guy that they've certainly, you know, if you if you if you go along with the idea of following the visits, this is a uh, uh, the only place really that it looks like Pritchett might go with as frequently as he's made his way to Tallahassee. So they put himself in a great place. It would be a hell of a win. I don't know that he's necessarily been a priority for programs like Georgia and Alabama, but he's on their board, and there's schools that you've had to battle, and you've just done a great job developing a relationship and. Hopefully we're not getting uh, in front of ourselves here, but by all accounts, you have put your place in a fantastic uh, spot to get a get a signature from this kid come December, and it would be you know yet another big feather in the hat of a recruiting class, particularly along the offensive line that uh, will change the fortunes and and hopefully you know not having us do preview podcasts where the offensive line is eleven out of fourteen in the ACC for much longer. I I think they're going to get this thing right. I I really do. Um, Part of it is just it's hard to be this this bad this long without a lot of bad luck. You've had a lot of attrition. You've had a lot of injury issues. At some point, those you're not going to keep hitting that same same negative parlay. Recruiting is a huge part of that. If they can get Pritchett, that's a huge deal. I mean, they could sign one of the absolute best offensive line classes in the country. If you get all these kids to verbally commit, I guarantee you some will decommit, and those are probably the kids who would have transferred early because they weren't getting enough playing time anyway which is kind of what you want to do to weed them out before you have to use a signing spot and then have them, have them transfer out. I think things are looking up here. I just don't know if they're going to take a huge step this year. I could absolutely see things take a huge step in 2022, though. Right? I mean, you, you lose Love Taylor, but Scott, Washington, if Lucas is still around, and still if he's still around, I'm going to assume he's bought in. And that, that could be a, a nice guy to unlock there. Murray Smith could, could be heavier. You know, you could get one, maybe two of Lloyd Willis Schrader really stepping up. Who knows? Maybe like an absolute miracle happens and Jalen Goss is, is a viable player or something. But I, I could see, and obviously he's one of the true freshmen stepping up. Maybe Rod Orr is ready to play after just a year on campus. I, I, I really do think 22 could be a big step. I don't know. I, I'm not crazy confident that they're going to be a whole lot better than 11th in the ACC out of 14. But it wouldn't shock me if they're like a spot or two better. There's some other teams collapse potential. Yeah, maybe a spot. I mean, I think, I think it's pretty accurate for where you are right now. Um, and we'll see. But like, like you said, you know, the real, real story here is just what they've done towards addressing the future, uh, both on the recruiting trail and contractually uh, signing up a, or, a, you know, getting a guy to uh, commit to you long-term from a contractual standpoint and a guy that's not going to go call, coach offensive line anywhere else. And 
uh, certainly been, you know, uh, one of two assistant coaches that have absolutely jumped off the page as far as the ability to get work done on the recruiting trail. And, uh, you know, there were some flashes from this group last year. So it'll be interesting to see how much they progress. Uh, certainly been a, you know, burden to the program for quite a while, but an area that, uh, like you said, I think they're going to get right. I think they're taking the steps to getting right. And 2021 will be a, a very interesting year to see, you know, how far along they, they get in that process. No doubt, man. Uh, shoot, we are right at an hour. Right at an hour. A little preview and then uh, did some scrimmage so we can, you know, justify that as to why this one's a little bit longer than maybe we desired. But that, uh, you know, that happens sometimes. So, uh, like I said, we are on YouTube. We'll point you in that direction. You can just search the Nolcast. You'll find us pretty quickly. Uh, if you could find the time to give us a subscription there, it would mean a lot. Uh, otherwise, feel free to rank us or uh, give us a rating, uh, subscription, note. On Apple, hit up our Patreon, patreon.com slash Nolcast. Drop us a line, Nolcast at gmail.com. You can text me. I'll give you Bud's address. You can knock on his door. <laughs> my my P.O. box. Yeah, tell him how much you appreciate it. I'm <laughs> sure his wife would love that. Uh, but no, so certainly appreciate the listen. We'll uh, be back with you with another position preview soon. And uh, for now, that's been the Nolcast. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith. Music by Judson Wright and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.